And what did he say in Titus 1.16? What did Paul say? They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Oh, if you're here and you're saved, you're not worthless for good deeds. He saved you to do, to serve. This is a category of not within here. This isn't you teaching a Sunday school class. That's a good deed. This is a category of how you treat the world. Being ready for every good deed. All right. Do not malign anyone. Malign no one, he says. What does malign mean? Hmm. Malign no one. That's to take them on, verbally abuse them, slander them. That's maligning them. We never do that. None of you talked about the Supreme Court two Fridays ago or three Fridays ago, did you? None of you said anything about them. You know, none of you maligned them at all. Well, we're to malign no one. He says, don't malign even the worst of sinners. The word actually comes from the Greek word blasphemo, which is to blaspheme someone. Slander, cursing, treating them with contempt. Those blasted. Five men on the Supreme Court change history. Got a right to be concerned. I'm not saying don't be concerned. Just don't blaspheme them. Don't slander them. Be uncontentious is the fifth thing he says to do here. And what does that mean? To be uncontentious means to be, the opposite of, of uncontentious is to be satisfied, to be peaceable. The opposite of contention is what uncontentious means. So to be at peace, to be peaceful, friendly. Are, are you known at the grocery store, let's say, and the person cuts you off in line, you were there before them, you got there at the same time, but you were really there before them. Are you known as the peaceable one that says, go ahead, we got here at the same time. Let me tell you something. I know people like that. And they're the most Christian-like people I've ever met. They're just, they're always willing to say, you know what, I'm just going to be at peace with you. I don't want to have an argument. I don't want to be upset with you. I'm not mad at you because you cut me off on the freeway. You got to get to work too, right? I wish you'd get up a little earlier so you wouldn't be on the freeway same time as me. So this means to not be quarrelsome or belligerent toward people. This is what Paul's warning us about. You're in an ungodly society. They're going to act the way they're supposed to act. They don't know Jesus Christ. You do. Being really wonderful if your actions could match up to who you say you are. The sixth thing he says to do is to be gentle. This would be be fair, forbearing with each other, not a grudge holder, not holding a grudge against you. I'm really here just to love on you. I'm really here to offer grace. That's what we should be doing. And then he says, showing every consideration for all men. Now then, showing every consideration for all men. This is really similar to five and six. It's like marrying those, but he makes a really big emphasis here. He says, for all men. So you women are left out of this. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> just teasing. <laughs> for all mankind. It's one of those things. It's not, it's not just I'm going to be... Um, I'm not just going to show consideration because you're a fellow brother in Christ. 
Now, of course, in chapter 2, we're supposed to do that too. Because he talked there about how we treat each other in the church, right? But this he's talking to how you treat the world. So showing every consideration for all men, all mankind, all. Look up that word. All means all. I don't know how to define it any more than everybody is included. Everybody's included. Even the drug dealer. Show consideration for all men, not just the ones you like, not just the ones who drive the right car. So he comes out of these seven items. Let's look at them again if I can say them really quickly. Be subject to rulers and authorities. Whether they're Democrat or whether they're Republican, if they're in charge, be subject to them. Be obedient toward them. Be ready for every good deed. Don't malign anyone. Be uncontentious or be peaceful. Be gentle toward them. Show consideration for all men. Is that what it says? Let's look. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Now watch. Verse 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. The very brother that you hug his neck in this audience today and say, I love you, brother, you would have said, I hate him before. This is where God found you. Don't forget, remind them. Remind them of their former condition, Titus. And there's seven reminders there. Let's walk through them as quick as I can. The first one is the one that, that grabs me really quickly. It says, for we also once were fools ourselves. We were foolish in our actions ourselves. What does that mean? Foolishness. Doesn't mean you're stupid. Doesn't mean you don't have understanding. It means really that you don't have understanding. You just don't know to do any differently than what you're doing. It's your nature to act this way. It's your very, sin nature says I'm disobedient. You tell me don't touch the wall? I had no intention of touching the wall. The minute you tell me don't touch the wall, watch out, I'm going to be touching the wall. But they're foolish because they're uninformed about God. They act the way they do because they don't know any different. They have no knowledge of how to act differently. They don't have the Holy Spirit in their lives. They don't have God the Father and Jesus Christ indwelling them. They're following their father, the devil. Isn't that what Ephesians 2 said? We were disobedient to all things of God. And guess what? They're disobedient to the very authority that he just told us to obey, aren't they? When you're out there doing drugs, you ain't trying to be obedient to the police. They're speeding all the time. They don't care. They're supposed to be disobedient. You were just like this. We need to be reminded of where we used to be. You get saved and you think, I got mine. I know I've used that before, but it's the truth. You need to be reminded of where you used to be. 
Oh, that God would remind you in a prayer time when you're praying for your unsaved loved ones. God, I used to be what they are. I want you to save them. I don't want to go to hell without my loved ones. I don't want them going to hell. I should say, I don't want to go to heaven without them. I want them to be where you are. So you got to be reminded sometimes of where he's brought you to and where you were before. You were deceived and so are they. That by their very nature, they're deceived. You ever talk to somebody about salvation and you're telling them that Christ loved them enough that he would die on a cross for them and that they only need to believe this and they look at you and go, well, I'm going to heaven. Well, why, why would you say you're going to heaven? Because I'm a pretty good person. I, I do, you know, I've done some really good things. They're deceived. They don't know him. Very, that, that very logic says I don't need a savior. They're never going to accept Christ in that condition. They're deceived. They, and guess what? We're in a world today where everything around us we think is just falling apart. But yet, to the world out there, to the average individual, things aren't that bad. They all got an iPad, they got their iPhones, they get to do what they want to do. They, they go to any restaurant they want to. They Everything's pretty good. Until you measure it against God's standard, and then it's not so good. They're enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. No hands, but a lot of you right now in your mind can say, I was there. I was there. Before I met Christ, I couldn't get enough. I was enslaved. I was captured by my own lusts. This isn't just sexual. Lusts don't always have to be just sexual. You may have lusted for money, and you went for it full force. There's many things. Pleasures and so, let me see here. Make sure I'm not getting mixed up too badly. We were spending our lives in malice. We were spending our lives in evil behavior. We were spending our lives being evil, being wicked. Now you can say, I wasn't being wicked. I was really a good wife to my husband. And No, no. In some way, some fashion, you were being evil and wicked because you weren't following Christ and following what God intends for your life, then the opposite of following God is evil. We were envious. Envy is a, is a sin that kind of carries its own reward. It guarantees its own frustration and disappointment. You ever envy somebody for something and you just keep envying them and envying them and then you get what they have and then you realize that you're envying something else? The sin of envy just keeps, it's something that never gets satisfied. It just, you just keep envying the next one. I know people that are, are wealthy beyond what I could imagine, and they want more. They're envious of the guy that has more than them. That's what we're like. The envious person is never satisfied with what she or he has and will always, always crave for more. Do you know people that way? I know lots of people that way. They have very little and they want more or they have a whole bunch and they want more. It's the same thing. They always want more. They're always craving something that they don't have called being envy. And then the final one there that he says, the final of the seven he says is they're hateful, hating one another. Wow. Once you get saved, 
Let me put it this way. When you got saved, people that you could never say you loved them before, you could suddenly say you loved them. I know people in this church who said that before they became Christians, they absolutely hated their mom and dad. They were hateful toward them, and they hated their own parents. And then you hear what their parents did to them, and you might understand it on a common level. But once they met Jesus Christ, they said, I could go to my dad or my mom and say, I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad. Hmm. Kind of an amazing thing. Hatred, hatefulness, is really the, can be caused by, it's like the fruit of envy. They, they, they marry each other pretty well. You're envying something, you get it, and, and now you want the next thing, and it doesn't satisfy. So you become hateful because things don't satisfy you. So then you become hateful. It's like, I got everything I want, and I need, and I'm not satisfied still. It's interesting, as I studied this, hatefulness doesn't need a rationale. It doesn't need a reason. You ever met people like that? Were you that kind of person? You could just hate for no reason. Don't even know who they are, and I just hate them. No rationale. And they especially hate those who are the most like them. That's true. Usually the child in your household that you get along with the, the worst is the one that's most like you. Hatred is not appealing even to the hateful. Husbands and wives divorce because of their personality clashes, each wanting their own way at all costs, even the cost of their marriage, even the cost of being with their children. Why? Because they hate. It's a natural tendency in the unsaved. And I would say this. Hateful people are perhaps the loneliest people you will ever, ever meet. And guess what? That's what you used to be. Those seven things. Let's walk through them again. Let's look at them again in the passage. For we also once were foolish ourselves. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. We were spending our life in malice and in envy. We were hating. We were hateful, and we were hating one another. That describes an unsaved person. That describes what you were like before you met the Savior. But, oh, thank goodness that the story doesn't end in verse 3. Because when you get to 4, and I don't want to preach that sermon again, but I'm going to touch it just real quick. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Oh, and then here it is, people. Place should go up and smoke. He saved us. He saved us. Think about this. The most righteous thing there is is God. The most righteous of anything is God and his perfectness. And he looks down and he sees these characteristics in you what we just described. Do you want to know that person? Oh, that's ugly. That person's ugly. And God says, don't worry about it. My kindness is going to appear in my, in my son. My love toward mankind is going to show up. And guess what? I'm going to save you in that condition. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Lord. I'm not very good apart from Jesus Christ. I know you find that hard to believe, but it's true. Not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, 
whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm an heir today of eternal life. Wow. Seven things he did there, huh? Seven things. His kindness appeared. His love for mankind showed up. He had mercy on us. He washed us with the regeneration. He renewed us by pouring out the Holy Spirit in us richly through his son, Jesus Christ, and he gave us grace. He justified us by grace. So that brings me to verse 8. Here we go. It all takes us to remember our mission. What's our mission? The whole idea behind this is that through how we treat in chapter 2, how we treat each other in the church. You know, when the, the unsaved world sees the saved, the righteous in Christ, acting crazy toward one another, why would they want what we have? So then he says, this is how you treat each other. This is how you treat the world. This is where God found you. This is what God did for you. Now what's our mission? And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. So what's the mission? The mission is to speak confidently He's telling Titus, preach these things. Tell them, this is where God found you. This is what he did for you. This is how you treat the world. What does all that do? If you do all of these things, it'll be good and profitable for men. It'll be good and profitable for men. That's one of those all men things again. It's everybody. It's good for us individually when we act the way we're supposed to within the church. It's good for the unsaved world to treat them the way God says to treat them. It's good to remember where God brought you from, and that also lets you know where they're at. Then he reminds you that here's what I did for you in salvation, the things I did. I saved you. He saved us. You didn't save yourself. So when we act this way, when we do these things, when we proclaim this, Titus, when you proclaim it this way, it is good and profitable for all men. How can it be good and profitable for all men? Because they'll see how you treat them. You're claiming to be something in front of them. You're saying, I am a sinner saved by grace. I'm walking according to Christ and his way now. I'm different. But I don't act any different. No. I'm different with, with Tim. I can say, I love you, Tim. I wouldn't have hung out with Tim before I got saved. And he wouldn't have hung out with me. He was too nice and I was too ornery. But because of what Christ did, he's now my brother. Huh? Now, if the world sees me acting that way toward him, what does that tell them? You ever had anybody say, you know, there's something about you that's different. There's something about you that's a little bit different. I, I haven't figured it out. But I've also had him say, you go to church, don't you? Say, yeah, but going to church doesn't do it. You've got to meet my Savior. You have to know him. 
So how we treat each other. The world is watching. Huh? They're watching you. You say you're a Christian, but you steal stuff from the job like everybody else. Oh, I'm stepping on toes. I told my wife, I said, I hope they don't walk out today because I'm just going to tell them. Here's what it says. And then he says, and then you translate over how you treat each other and you treat them. You give them grace. You treat them in a way they don't deserve necessarily. Huh, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? Is that not what God did for you? That's taking the grace he's given you and then showing them grace. People need to be loved. People want friendships. They want someone they can trust in. They want someone that will be there and do a good deed when they're needed. They'll see that then, and that will change their perspective a little bit. And then he reminds us of how he found us. And that's just a reminder to say, that's who you're dealing with. That's who you're telling you're telling Christ to them. And then he reminds what he did for me, how he found me, what he did for me. And then he says, do these things. They're good and profitable for all men. It's an evangelism. You say evangelism, everybody goes, oh, that's sharing Christ, and that's doing the ABCs or EE, and, and that's true, it is. But you want the right to be able to share those things with people. I want the right to be able to share that with people. How do I gain that right? Do these things. It's profitable. Because then they say, your church showed up and and helped me bury a loved one. I don't even go to your church. I don't even believe in the God you preach. But you showed up and did the funeral for us. You told us that Christ loved us. They, They see that and they go, You know, we might want to visit that place. It's good and profitable for all men. It's good and profitable for us. It's good and profitable for the world to see it. It's an evangelism tool that's incredible. So, I'm going to stop, but I'm not done. Because you could go on and on and on inside this passage. I had somebody ask me, why are you guys doing Titus? Seems like we got other things we could hear. Are you kidding me? This is why we're doing Titus. We want to evangelize the world. We want to change the world. How do we change the world? By calling my congressman? Are you kidding me? We change the world inside out. We don't change the world. Just like we don't grow the church. I hear one more thing about church growth I'm going to throw up. It's not us that grows the church. It's Jesus Christ that grows the church. It's not us that changes the world. It's Jesus Christ that changes the world. And it's done one individual at a time. It's not done by legislation. You can't legislate Christianity. It's impossible. So we go back to the three questions that we asked at the beginning. How are we to respond to a society and a culture that has become less attractive. They were already unattractive. The person that we described of who you were before you met Christ was a very unattractive person. Now you get a whole group of those, you got an unattractive world. So they were already unattractive, but it seems like it's getting more unattractive. How do we respond to that? Well, 
Verses 1b through 2 tells us how we're supposed to treat that world. I have a message. You have a message. We are to be ambassadors. Huh? 2 Corinthians 5, I think I preached on that a while back. I'm supposed to be an ambassador. I'm supposed to represent God. Pleading with the unsaved world on behalf of Jesus Christ, who did a work on the cross for them. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Look it up when you get home. It's what it says. So to the unsaved world, I'm supposed to complain and whine and write nasty letters to them, watch CNN and Fox and all the different places, whatever you want to watch, and say, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Guess what? The world's going to hell. Except, except, God provided a way. Well, I don't have to go there. And neither do they. And the, one of the best evangelism tools you can do is treat them the way he says to treat them. Not Larry Howard. I'm not telling you to treat him that way. Did I write Titus? No. I'm just telling you what Paul said to Titus. And I believe, if I remember right, he was inspired by God himself to write this down. How should we react to what's going on around us? Let's all get some picket signs and go down and picket. No. No. And what is the proper Christian response to a non-Christian or an anti-Christian culture? I think we've laid it out pretty clearly on what to do and how to do it. The thing I would say to you is if you're here this morning and you don't know who Christ is, you've never accepted him as your Savior, you're powerless to do any of these things. You just can't do it. But if you're here today and you know Christ and you've accepted him and, and you're in his family and you're not doing these things, then this is just a reminder. Why do we remind people? Because we need to be reminded. We forget. We forget. So God says, Titus, through Paul, he said, Titus, remind them. Remind them how to treat this world. Remind them how to treat one another. Remind them where they came from. Remind them what I did for them. Remind them of their mission. Father, we thank you this morning for the reminder. Thank you for picking me up when I was a lousy scumbag. No one but the unsaved world would want to hang out with me. But it was right there that your kindness appeared and your love for mankind showed up and, and you saved me. Thank you. And then you gave us a, a map on how to treat a world that desperately needs you just like I did. And you remind us of how you found us, what we were like, and what you did for us, and then our mission before us. Lord, I, you know my heart was breaking as I read there's no such thing as revival anymore. I read in an article this week. God, I don't believe that. I believe there's revival if our people will pray, if they'll live their life out like Paul's telling Titus to tell them to do, their neighbor next door will want their Savior if he sees them living like this. And so I thank you for reminding me, reminding this audience of the things that you intended for us to do to be able to, be able to reach out to the unsaved, to the one who doesn't want you, 
They don't want you. But oh, let them see something in us that says, I want what he has. And then we'll be able to express who Christ is to us. Do that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.